sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day. This is Neil Preston, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Welcome back again to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Megaphone, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. We're going to be calling this uh, episode, this is episode 138, we're going to be calling it the U.S. Response to UK Glam. I know that's a bit of a mouthful. I thought of other ways to get get America in there or put a colon in there, U.S. response, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, I, I got inspired to do this episode because the last episode, uh, 137, I think I just called it Glam Rock. So it was all about the origins of this glam thing or the phenomenon of this glam thing in the U.K. from 71 to 74. And so I thought, what was America doing? Uh, as I was doing that episode, I think I even mentioned it in there, that I thought, well, let's let's talk about the U.S. next time uh, because it's actually kind of a funny and weird and fascinating story. Uh, I'm going to be going chronologically on this. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be looking at... Uh, what was the reflection of all this uh, blinding platinum and gold and silver lame uh, from over in the UK? What was the reflection across the Atlantic Ocean over in America? Um, the answer may surprise you. I don't know. Um, it's a it's a complex answer, uh, but let's get into it. Uh, let's play our first track here on History in Five Songs. This is Alice Cooper with Be My Lover. <laughs> Okay, so Alice Cooper, this is from Killer, November 27th, 71. This is his second uh, album after getting signed. There was Love It to Death after being signed to Warner Brothers. Remember, there was the straight Warner, the Frank Zappa label over, over to there. So you've got Pretties for You, Easy Action. Um, and even at that point, Alice Cooper was somewhat of a pioneer in the glam thing in the late 60s into 1970. This is all happening in LA, which is not a very glam place. I mean, ironically speaking, it is the the town of uh, glamour, Tinseltown and all that. Um, so it reflects that, but it has nothing to do with the UK glam situation. Uh, so why this is a pretty funny episode in terms of the US response to glam is that there wasn't much of a response in total. We have to pick the pieces from, from disparate elements. And Alice Cooper is one of those. So Alice Cooper uh, has this definite glam look that you can see in the iconic um, 
uh, easy action uh, type photos. Uh, but then they move to Detroit. They do uh, um, the Love It to Death album. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a kind of like a grainy black and white shot, but you can tell on the very iconic, uh, picture of the band there that they're looking a little bit glammy. We're now up into killer and, uh, how is Alice Cooper glammy? So first off, we did talk about how, um, there was no real musical center to this glam thing. I wanted to play this song, be my lover, because I think you, you feel a little bit of that, of that Lou Reed, David Bowie. English kind of simple rootsy roots rock uh, feel to the glam thing in in this song. I mean, Alice Cooper, we always kind of lump him in with the hard rock heavy metal end of things. But if you really take a good hard look at um, all of those classic Alice Cooper band albums, they're not particularly heavy and you can actually see it through this glam lens. So even though there is no center to to glam musically, I think Alice Cooper has a lot of the elements that fit in there. Uh, including the heavy elements, because there is a nod to that. So he's got that, and he's also got these "Be My Lover" type elements, where you hear, you know, the background vocals and the and the and the '60s element in there as well. Now, obviously, I I figure the makeup part of Alice Cooper is somewhat of a glam thing, but this is a great metaphor for the U.S. response to glam, because Alice Cooper's makeup is more of a smeared, dark version of glam makeup. So glam makeup is trying to look a little androgynous or camp, probably more camp than androgynous, but Alice Cooper is more of the whatever happened to baby Jane uh, example of this, uh, the the sort of nightmarish uh, kind of uh, going crazy makeup. Um, so it's it looks like you know, chaotic dark makeup put on because of mental illness sort of thing. Um, so, you know, it's like black you know, coming down smeared mascara. So the makeup is there. It serves as a metaphor, but again, it's a metaphor for the U.S. response, which is a little bit of a darker and different response. Uh, back on the drums, you've got Neil Smith. What does Neil call himself? The Platinum God. He is the guy that was the most glamorous. His persona or his caricature in the band, really, and it is a self. It's it's a self uh, propelled, self fulfilling caricature is this thing uh, called the Platinum God, right? He's, he considered himself, he wanted to be kind of the showman drummer, the showiest guy. He's a tall guy, yet the big long hair, they all had long hair. Uh, but he was the guy that dressed up in the most glamorous outfits. Um, so Alice Cooper, as you, as you go on, you know, there's a little bit of glam clothing here and there with the guys. They, they try this stuff out because let's face it, I mean, Alice Cooper's biggest era is essentially 70 through to 73 and that's that's housed right inside of this perfect perfect pocket for glam so that stuff is showing up from time to time you know alice with the top hats and that um so so there's bits of it but but it's not uh you know it, it actually does serve as our very best example of this whole thing um and okay so let's move on as i say i'm going chronologically here let's listen to our second track this is Lou Reed with Vicious. All right, Lou Reed. 
So how does he fit in this whole thing? So this is from Transformer, November 8th, 1972. This album is actually produced by David Bowie and Mick Ronson. This is the lead track on it. I wanted to pick this song because it sounds like the song we just played. It sounds like Alice Cooper, Be My Lover. So it's got, uh, you know, what I've often called in reviews or whatnot, the dependable Louie Louie chords, right? Um, so this, again, uh, is, is having that throwback to the 60s, 50s rock, roots rock, that you often get in uh, in glam, uh, the UK version or the US version for that matter. Um, but I also wanted to pick Lou Reed here because there is the link to a a certain uh, you know distinctive New York version of glam, and that's the whole Andy Warhol scene. You know, Andy Warhol liked his music, but he really liked more so uh, the idea of fame, Hollywood movies. He was a big movie guy. He had all those. Um, you know his his entourage had drag queens in it and stuff like that so this is this is going back to something that the velvet underground more or less started definitely not a glam band i mean they're probably the anti-glam band but as you get into lou reed it becomes a little bit more he does dress glam sometimes he dresses all sorts of different ways and he also is one of the iconic early guys with the black leather thing and Glam kind of morphed into that a little bit when you see uh, what Sweet did, because uh, Sweet actually went from a real glam look into kind of a black leather look uh, later. And also the other thing that Lou Reed represents here is this idea of um, uh, this cross-pollinization between UK and US bands. Lou Reed was beloved in the UK. He went to the UK. He toured there. He was seen as a as a kind of a minor rock god thing, and he was really tied up in the David Bowie thing. So his link... David Bowie uh, loved Lou and Lou loved David Bowie and there was this mutual admiration society there and you really get uh, this idea that um, we, you know, we loosely associate Lou Reed with glam because we really associate Lou Reed with David Bowie. Um, you know, other bands that are kind of in this this uh, thing with the with the big UK connection, Iggy and the Stooges, which I almost included in here, the Raw Power album, you know, Iggy and his shiny pants. I mean, this is a band that also put on a little makeup and tried to look a little glam at times, but they really represent this idea that the Americans were not having this glam thing. This these are these are like tough, rough and tumble guys from from Detroit and uh, you know, it, it, it's it's almost like a comical just trying of this thing and realizing it looks so stupid on us because we're ugly dudes or whatever and uh, and we're not really having this. Um, but again, Iggy, Lou, David Bowie, it all goes together so well. Of course, uh, Raw Power, this iconic 1973 album, was recorded in the UK. It was mixed by David Bowie, uh, so it's all all tied in with this. They're all big in those uh, those. UK music weeklies, um, you know, and another one like this, you talk about a Detroit band being part of the glam scene, Susie Quattro. Susie Quattro is from Detroit, but her glam fame is all tied up with, uh, you know, Nikki Chin and Mike Chapman over in the UK on all those hits they were writing for her. And she's touring over there and the records are kind of big over there, bigger there than they are in the States. So she's part of this as well. And then the final one that is kind of part of this idea of, uh, of you know, the two countries linked in a glam way is Sparks. Uh, I think I briefly mentioned Sparks last episode, but this is a California band, Russ and Ron Mayle, and, uh, and they had their biggest fame 
uh, by literally moving to the UK and literally hiring a UK band. Uh, they didn't even bring the band with them from California. They hired a UK band and they had their little bit of a mania there and they were a little bit of a, of a glam band there. All right, so this episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It is whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapy near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff listeners you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash five songs. That's betterhelp.com slash Martin, uh, sorry, slash five songs. Uh, thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. All right. So number three here in this uh, episode 138, the U.S. response to UK glam. This is another bit of a weird situation, a uh, little bit. Well, they've all been different, haven't they, so far? Take a listen to this. This is Joe Bryath with World Without End. All right, so Joe Bryth, this is a crazy story. Um, so this is a guy that was hyped as uh, definitely big, big hype. Uh, he was hyped as the first openly gay artist signed to a major label. Um, his debut record came out on Elektra, produced by Eddie Kramer, June 15th, 1973. He actually died from AIDS. He was one of the first guys to die from AIDS, like Klaus Nomi, um, from, from the music world. He died August 3rd, 1983. But essentially... Um, they put out this first album to massive, massive hype and billboards and, and their, their manager, Jerry Brandt, was hyping him as, uh, you know, there was Elvis, there was Beatles, now there's Joe Bryth and all this stuff. And the hype really, uh, uh, you know, uh, backlashed uh, on Joe Bryth. But also, again, I wanted to pick this one for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, this idea of the U.S. was not having this glam thing right? They thought this whole UK glam thing looked pretty ridiculous. And as a metaphor, again, the US was not having this homosexual thing, that's for sure, uh, as well. So there was this idea that this guy was going to be promoted as all this, but essentially the public was not ready for it and they rejected the idea of a Joe Bryth. Now, you can actually go on YouTube and see his performance on Midnight Special where he does I'm a Man in Rock of Ages. The interesting thing about Joe Bryth is uh, 
it's it's pretty good stuff. He's a good singer and he's a good performer. Uh, so there was this debut album. They followed it up with uh, Creatures of the Street in 1974, which was assembled from the sessions from the first one, and it got no hype whatsoever. Peter Frampton is involved. John Paul Jones from Zeppelin is apparently in, involved as well. But the interesting thing with this glam story is, okay, so first off, there's the openly gay side of it. So there's your mix with the androgyny part of it. But the interesting thing that you'll notice on Midnight Special is that um, this is essentially late 1970s David Bowie before there was a late 1970s David Bowie. This is all happening in 1973, 1974. And he's like gone well beyond what Bowie was was doing at this point. David Bowie st- still has the the goofy look and makeup and the uh you know the the red mu- the red uh dyed mullet, right? So you look at what he's wearing there, the the costumery, it looks more like Man Who Sold the World era David Bowie, which is pretty interesting. Now, musically, you'll notice on those songs, those are some of the harder hitting songs. The one I played here is a little bit weird and interesting. Um, but a lot of the rest of the albums are... Um, are a little more kind of like rootsy, pre-punk, proto-punk, rock and roll, uh, like the Lou Reed we've been playing and like the Alice Cooper we've been playing, but also kind of the cabaret kind of stuff as well. And there's some definite nods to to early Bowie on it. So essentially, Joe Bryth was coming out as um, as almost like the American version of Bowie, but he had these kind of interesting, admirable things that put him four, five, six years ahead of Bowie. Um, so it's almost like, you know, I, I've never really sort of checked this theory out, but uh, but it's almost like Bowie picked up some things from Joe Bryth uh, along the way as well, which is kind of interesting. Um, but no, so he, he definitely um, fits into this uh, glam thing. It's considered one of the, uh, you know, the tragic stories of all this. I mean, he basically quit the music business after that second album. Uh, Morrissey came back. There was a, a few years ago, Morrissey came back and did a, um, you know, helped put together a retrospective uh, CD reissue of this stuff. And there was a little bit of a, a look into his story again. But yeah, crazy, crazy story. Um, and a lot of a lot of the backlash against him wasn't even really part of the gay thing. A lot of the backlash was about the being hyped so big thing america doesn't like when someone gets hyped so massive well i guess no country does right um but there was backlash against that as well which was uh which was kind of interesting um all right let's move on to our fourth selection here take a listen to this this is the new york dolls with bad girl Love the New York Dolls to death. Um, interviewed those guys, written up the story of those. I think you can maybe get those as separately uh, at Zunior.com as ebooks, but uh, really, there's nowhere else. I mean, the the ye old metal thing. Long story. I'm thinking of doing a book. Um, I actually started it before called Gimme Danger, where I was going to put together all my writings on the Dictators, the Dolls, MC5, the Stooges, all in one place. Um, because you know, I have talked to all those guys quite a few times. But um, so this is from. 
the uh, the debut album. They only made the two albums back then, seventy three and seventy four. So this is July twenty seventh, seventy three. Uh, love these guys to death, and this is probably um, you know besides Alice Cooper. Well, actually more so. New York Dolls are probably the number one example uh, that anybody can think of when they think of a U.S. glam band. Uh, but their whole thing again was quite different. Uh, their whole thing was a was a full on. Um, almost like a like a dress and drag version, but you know th- this is this is like they're only they only do these things really in a big way for for photo sessions. It's almost like the the uh, you know the thing gets blown out of out of proportion. That first album cover is very very shocking. So again, just like the Joe Bariath, what you get here is America was not ready for this, and New York Dolls were hyped like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the story goes that, you know, over in the corner, David Krebs was telling me this the other day. So over in the corner, um, or last month or whenever it was, uh, the, the story always went that, that the New York dolls would, would could point to a corner in their apartment where there'd be like a three foot high stack of press on them. And yet they couldn't sell any records. And really the, the reason was, is kind of the same as the Joe Bryan thing that, the public was not ready for a cross-dressing band, even though none of them were gay and they were kind of tough guys and there were a lot of drugs and stuff and they're from New York and Dave Johansson's a famous cranky dude, uh, you know, and he's got a cranky voice. Listen to him on this bad girl thing. He's like he's like a Mick Jagger screaming voice. He's also got the big lips and all that, right? Um, but um, so this is the closest thing uh, the States really does have to this whole glam situation uh, be, because of this sort of cross-dressing thing. Um but amazing music, uh, pretty heavy uh, for, for its day, pretty proto-punk, proto-metal or whatever you want to want to call it. Um, and this brings up, you know, I wanted to mention a few things, um, a, a few more disparate elements of all this. Kiss is sometimes thrown into the glam thing. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a little bit, they belong a little bit musically, I'd say, because they were big Slade fans, remember that? Uh, and of course, there's makeup there. Aerosmith a little bit. Steven Tyler, you could say, is a little bit on its way, on his way to being a David Johansson and, and being a little bit androgynous looking up there. Uh, but but definitely very flashy dresser. The rest of the guys, not so much so. But you even see little bits of elements of glam in uh, Jim, Jim Dandy from Black Oak, Arkansas. Rush, you know, some of those first photo sessions when John Rutsey was still in the band, they they dressed up pretty glammy and there's a little bit of makeup there. They had the big high heel, you know, they had the big clogs on, the big um heels on on their boots. So, yeah, there's there's the iconic a uh, couple of uh, you know, uh, those early photo sessions where they looked a little glammy as well. So the point is is in in 73 74 this was kind of a fashion sense and and you know these guys all dabbled a little bit in it. BTO and ZZ Top if you want to bring in the idea of the nudie suits is that glam. You know, it's sequins, it's flashy. Um obviously it's a little bit of a different thing. Um it's it's the flashy glammy country country western kind of look uh that they had. But I I remember I can picture in my head pictures of like Canadian bands like April Wine and Flood looking a little uh a little glammy at times. Sweeney Todd uh, with Nick Gilder, uh, Roxy Roller, uh, that whole thing was considered a little bit glam. Although now we're moving into 75, 76. Evidently, I don't know if you guys know this, but one interesting thing about Sweeney Todd is they only put out two albums, and the second one has Brian Adams as the lead singer. Um, so the first one is Nick Gilder, the second one is Brian Adams. They're both kind of heavy. You might want to check those out. They're they're pretty cool albums. The second one's called uh, If Wishes Were Horses. 
Uh, Leon Russell, you know, you think of the iconic pictures of him with the top hat and a little bit of makeup. So he's kind of a bit of a glammy guy. The tubes uh, are sometimes included into the glam story. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Angel is sometimes included. That makes a little bit of sense. Uh, a little bit of it, you know, it's an androgynous look. They're all dressed in white. You know, there's there's a lot of photos of them where you know that it's it's you know the light is all kind of soft focus and all that. Pretty pretty guys and all that. So that that fits as well. Kim Fowley is sometimes included in this. Hollywood Bratz band probably you never heard of. Runaways a little bit. Um, you think of the, uh, you know, the, their sound, number one. Um, you think of the front cover of the Live in Japan album. Uh, so the Runaways could be a little bit glam. So so there's a little bit of an L.A. glam thing, uh, you know, that, that partly goes into New Wave and all that as you're getting 76, 77. But, you know, we're getting out of time uh, with this whole thing as well. So, you know, that pretty much sums up a lot of, uh, a, a lot of like I say, these disparate elements and different ways America participated in this glam thing, but they really didn't participate a lot, I guess is the point of this episode. Now, our last one is a really interesting choice here uh, with with all of this. Um, Let's take a listen, we'll discuss. This is Twisted Sister with Under the Blade. right twisted sister september 18th 1982 for their debut album uh, on secret records produced by pete way raging awesome great killer uh heavy metal album it's kind of coming in at this weird time it's before hair metal which often gets called glam right um and uh, and it's it's kind of participating in the new wave of British heavy metal, but this is a New York band. Now, why are they here? Definite, definite reason they're here. So so Twisted Sisters look was, again, a little bit of that, um, as Dee Snyder says, uh, whatever happened to baby Jane, you know, crazy old woman living up, you know, in the attic or alone or whatever. Um, it's it's that it's uh, that Alice Cooper thing. It's a dark version of an androgynous look or a or a camp or a drag look um but they're also here even though this album is 1982 they were a band since 1974 so they were kind of um they they were kind of around all this time uh when when glam started they started uh, or when glam was ending they started put it that way so uh they're here because this look that they had this garish pretty stupid look but but it is a stupid look and glam is a stupid look so so their version of a stupid look is essentially uh very much linked to sweets stupid look so so if if you want to take all those glam looks and they're all pretty similar but if you want to take the sweet version where you know these guys as as you know i i might be reading this comment later i can't remember where i saw it but uh somebody somebody said which was pretty interesting that um this whole glam thing struck them, you know, it, it, this was somebody from the UK saying it looked like a bunch of um, bricklayers with a little bit of eyeliner on. That is, that kind of describes Sweet and that also describes Twisted Sister. Uh, so, so they're, you know, they're, they're these 
rough and tumble New York guys uh, in these bands, um, you know, in this band for a long, long time. So the look is more like uh, tongue in cheek. We're just goofing here. We're just like putting on a little makeup. You can look at everything we're wearing and our makeup and all that. But do we really look like women? No, we don't. It's not like the New York Dolls where, where you know, they, they kind of pulled it off. We're poisoned later, right? Um, so... I find that interesting. So so what I find interesting here is that it's very related to the sweet version of the glam look and it's not related at all to the hair metal version of of a glam look, which is a whole different thing and a whole, you know, a, a whole different discussion. So even though we're way up in 82, I I think you have to include Twisted Sister in this because they are actually the closest look to the whole glam thing and the music, you could say the music kind of fits in there as well. It's a little bit sweet, it's a little bit slayed, it's a little bit Mott the Hoople, although it's, you know, heavier than all that. Um so so they kind of represent the heavy end of glam. There's kind of a simplicity to it, you know, D. Snyder's always said we were a combination of Judas Priest and ACDC, which is a perfect way of putting it. But there is that ACDC simplicity to it. And the ACDC simplicity kind of goes with those early heavy sweet singles and and the likes of Slade, uh, I think. Um, so there you go. Those are our, those are our glam uh, dealies in here. Uh, let me just check something here. I just wanted to see some comments uh, on the last episode. Uh, Tegan Jane, Kaya Garcia even says one of my favorite periphery UK glam bands is hello who are more famous for the songs they gave to other artists mainly new york groove to ace freely and love stealer to your eye heap check out hello's version of this below yeah i did go look at this video it's pretty cool 76 um but they they were a glam band as well uh let's see what else uh Joe Beck says another stellar episode. I always thought all the young dudes was is definitely the anthem for the glam movement. Very good point, Joe. Uh, looking forward to the American episode. Um, so here you go. Uh, Ryan Gavalia writes, this was very interesting. Glam is such a strange genre of music. I can't say I'm a complete fan of it, but I'm definitely intrigued by it. The lack of a stylistic center opened the door for some great acts like Bowie, although his glam years are my least favorite of his 70s albums personally roxy music who is my favorite glam act also mott the hoople and sweet with that being said i also uh, uh, it also opened the doors for some really bad acts to be lumped into the genre i often see new york dolls and kiss lumped into glam how do you feel about that i think i just told you there right i personally could uh see new york dolls but kiss was something different their clothing style was more theatrical less about glam true uh let's see uh andy bullock says maybe i missed it but was uh, there was no mention of T-Rex Mark Bull, and I did mention him, and he's he's very important in this whole thing. Um, let's see. Mark Sager says, Mott the Hoople comes to mind, but Alex Harvey did some early forms of glam. Yeah, I, I didn't mention Alex Harvey. That's a good point, Mark. Uh, but honestly, so many simultaneously uh, to pinpoint the early pioneers, the sweet. Maybe I'm learning a lot from the comments. Uh, let's see. Joe Lutz says, great episode. It's really interesting how the term glam band initially referred to their look. But now when we hear a band being called Glam, we can immediately get an idea of their sound. And that makes me wonder about bands uh, that were our Glam and sound, but not necessarily in appearance. Tuck Smith and the Restless Hearts come to mind, but they are equally power pop and good old rock and roll. Power pop, like I say, I, I think you see that carry over with uh, the, the nascent early version of New Wave, not punk, but New Wave in LA. I think you see some glamness to that. Actually, come to think of it, uh, think of those uh, Japan-only releases of Quiet Riot, um, you know, be before the big record, before Metal Health. They looked pretty glammy uh, at the time as well, right? Um 
Let's see. Jonathan Jordan says, nice episode. I am the same age as Pizza, around 10 years uh, old uh, and living in England. Most of it covered already, but right in the middle uh, were the Bay City Rollers. Yeah. Uh, plus the Rubettes, a very silky pastel image. Truly horrible. Um, slick. Slick, who gave birth to the Latter-day Singer of Ultravox. My favorites were Hello, who had an early hit with New York Group. So, yeah, Bay City Rollers are often thrown into this glam thing. I didn't mention them last time, too. But as I say in the in the, the comments somewhere, uh, I think uh, I left them out because I was blinded by the tartan. Uh, they're, they're more associated with that whole tartan thing than actually uh, with glam. Um, all right. So... If you like this show and want to support future episodes, please go to Kofi rhymes with no fee.com slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button and buy me a coffee or a pint. On that front, this week I would like to thank Bruce Campbell, Andrew Clark, Franco Dotto, David Fisher, Ryan Gavalier, Darren Kasabowski, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, Steve Polari, and Colston Veer. Uh, that wraps up this episode, and hopefully I won't be back for any more glam, will I? I don't think so. Uh, you can go to martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. Um, I do have stock of quite a few different items been a little slow lately still have the sweet book thinking of uh thinking of glam uh don't have the angel book but i do have uh most of the visual biographies still the heap hawkwind uh thin lizzie van halen i've got about five or six left of all of those uh and there's going to be some new ones uh coming down the pipe soon i would say in about four weeks i'll have the priest and the ufo there you go uh if i can leave you with one thought like i usually do as tradition just go listen to some new york dolls find all of our shows notes social and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts all songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.